Creative Collisions with Second Home. Lots of people think that having a mentor is only something that happens when you're young. But in reality, having that guiding voice can continue to be valuable right throughout our lives. And what's really revealing about these relationships is that, at their best, they can be two-way streets. And as today's guest shows, a mentor can benefit equally from their student. I'm Rohan Silver. Welcome to Creative Collisions, the podcast where we celebrate creative diversity, bringing you conversations with great talents from different industries, direct from Second Home. Today, you'll be hearing from the influential British designer, Bella Freud. Bella joined us at Second Home in Holland Park in West London to discuss her journey into fashion and the people that helped shape her path. If you're not familiar with Bella, you'll probably have heard of her famous family. She's the daughter of renowned artist Lucian Freud and the great-granddaughter of the psychiatrist Sigmund Freud. Bella's instantly recognisable knitwear has developed a global cult following and firmly established her place at the top of the fashion scene. Bella was joined in conversation by Carolyn Daly. Carolyn set up a thing called Creative Entrepreneurs, and it's all about people who want to start or are running creative businesses, helping them access the kind of mentoring, the support, the advice, the inspiration they need to really make a success of things. And so... That was the point of the event, to have Bella very generously share her experiences, her ups and downs, with a whole bunch of budding Bella Freuds. Bella grew up in London, but later studied in Rome. So to kick off, Caroline asked Bella to explain a little more about those early years. You are a creative person through and through, but you've also created this amazing business. So we really wanted to spend time talking about that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. People probably know a lot of it, but tell us a little bit more color of growing up. I was always interested in how things were made. In Rome, it was a city of artisans. And I I found a shoemaker and I found a tailor who I used to go and visit. And I was interested in the whole snobbism around how things were made and what kind of interlining was used and those things to do with measurement fit, armhole. I'm obsessed with armholes. Maybe I should have on my gravestone, you know, 19 centimetres or something. (laughs) (laughs) But I really, it's like I was fascinated by all the signals of that world of how many buttonholes, whether they were made by hand the spacing between the cuff buttons, all those things are messages, and I was intrigued by that, and that's what I learned there. So not only how to make things, which is crucial, but also what all these very subtle messages convey. It's interesting, because I was kind of had like an idea of this is a correct way to do things, whereas now the sort of antithesis of that is also the correct way. It just depends how much flair somebody has. If someone can do something with an originality, they can break all the kind of supposed rules of taste, and that's really interesting too. So can't be too (laughs) close-minded ever. And thinking of at this early stage, you're 
huge influences on your creativity and what you just talked about. Then in Rome, you met Anita Pallenberg. Yeah, I, I met Anita Pallenberg sitting in a cafe outside the Pantheon. You just um, met her randomly. Well, some, somebody must have introduced us. <laughs> but I had been obsessed with her since I was like 12. She was one of the first women that I looked up to. And she just looked really, really cool but really classy as well. And I've always liked that combination of someone who's maybe had a bourgeois upbringing but has kind of trashed it a bit. I think that's an <laughs> interesting combination. So started forming your idea yeah, of Yeah, just look. going against how you've been taught. That takes a certain confidence and an elegance, and she had all that. You came back to London, other creative but possibly business influences, Vivian Westwood. Yeah, I'd, I'd worked for Vivian Westwood as a teenager in her shop when I was 16 or 17, seditionaries, and um, I suppose that was the first time I'd experimented or kind of really gone in for being different, you know, joining in a little crowd who were different. I mean, I wanted to be part of the herd because I didn't have any confidence, but it was great being in her gang <laughs> and... Uh, then when I was 22 and living in Rome, she was also working in Italy and we became friends really then. And when I left Rome and moved back to London when I was 24, I went to work for her as her assistant. I did a bit of every job, production, prep, you know, I, I, it wasn't so kind of formed as it is now, but I just did anything. Which is a much richer experience. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of more haphazard as well. I don't know how good I became at any of those things but it was very useful and interesting to watch her coming up with ideas and see them you know capturing people's imaginations and hearts and you know people used to come from all over the world to buy things in that shop and people would especially like come from Japan with pictures and saying I want this and they'd just buy the whole lot but they'd only want what was in the picture if the jacket was in a different color they didn't want it <laughs> um you know she would come in and bring something new and it would be incredibly exciting and she would have sewed it on the sewing machine at first i mean in the early days it was you know i always remember this um her ringing me up and said oh i'm gonna send something over you know <laughs> her accent she said i've been fiddling around making this thing and I just don't know if it's any good and this mini cab arrived with a plastic bag and in it was this crown made of tweed and ermine and it was the most beautiful thing and I remember having tears in my eyes and and I still feel really emotional when I think of seeing that thing and I rang her up and said it's fantastic. You know, she was like, oh, good, okay, we'll do it, you know. And it was so, you know, it was amazing to have been involved in that one thing. I mean, there were plenty of others, but things like that you never forget. And so I was lucky to have those moments with her. Well, what a privilege it must be to watch masters do their work. I really like the point they made there about how often the grafting, doing any old job, is, as Caroline says, a rich experience. And it gives us the opportunity to soak up the small skills that make up the larger job. And, you know, sometimes maybe we can feel sorry for ourselves if we're in the early days of our career making tea, maybe for the people at the top. But, you know, as Bella shows, 
each of those moments maybe is a chance to learn a bit, to listen and grow as a creative, even though it might not seem like that at the time. And what I find really interesting is this idea that even for someone as absolutely brilliant, successful experience as Vivian Westwood, she still searched for reassurance on a project from a novice, as Bella was at the time. And, you know, I think that's something that's great to hear, that it doesn't matter how successful, you know, you might hopefully become one day, having a sounding board is always useful. And it's really nice to reflect on the fact that no one's ever too good to benefit from getting some advice. And people are never too inexperienced to still have a valuable input and something to say. And for Bella, who you can only describe as tenacious, it was only a matter of time until these lessons she absorbed were put into action. So then you started your own fashion label. I'm imagining that had a lot to do with your inspiration, or, or where did that come from, your idea that you could do that on your own? God, I don't, when I think back, I, I just don't know what I was doing. But for some reason, I, I'd had this idea of how I wanted a girl to look, and it had been building up, really, I suppose, my whole life. So I stopped working for her and thought, oh, well, I'll do a collection I didn't really even know I was starting a business. And then I bumped into this knitwear factory owner in the street. And he said, oh, you can make some knitwear if you want. (laughs) And so I did. And that was really how it happened. I mean, it was just like a burning desire. And I just did it. And I had a kind of weird consultancy job that paid me enough money to develop the samples. And I went to Scotland and... I used to just hang around in this bed and breakfast waiting for things to be ready and they all hated me because I was making them do things that were different. So I did a couple of collections made in Scotland and then they told me that they just didn't want to hear from me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you weren't, it wasn't Bella Freud the label yet? Or yeah, it was so at this I just point, made yeah. my label then and... I wouldn't recommend this to anybody, but this is just what I did. And this was in 1990, and things were really different. I was lucky because it was just the moment of change, and I was on the crest of that. And I had fantastic press, but I also was just on the crest of an enormous recession. So business-wise, it was really hard. And I'd continue to do things my own way, partly because I didn't like doing fashion shows. And then soon after I started, I started making these short films with John Malkovich. And, and the films could showcase your fashion, yeah. so it was out there without having a... But it was sort of a bit pre-internet, so not many people saw them. <laughs> <laughs> but So part of why I started doing the films is that I wanted to be more involved in the show. I didn't want to finish a show and then find everyone had gone and I had no idea really what had happened and I just felt incredibly empty after that so I did film so I could be a spectator as well. Which is amazing, that's kind of the beginning days of content marketing, yeah, you had yeah. like an instinct for that and it had a life afterwards as you say, it's not okay great that runway show's over now, nothing's left of it, you had something know, to show after. Looking back over this career that I felt was just quite haphazard and actually there was all this content and I hadn't really planned it. I just had partly through tenacity of keeping on going and also 
you know, during times where I had very little money and I would just make a very tiny collection. But as long as I called it a collection, it had a kind of soul. It had a, it had something to offer. And sometimes once it was one piece. But I was just about to tell someone, oh, I've only done one piece. And then I said, I've done a collection and it's just one piece. And she said, oh, that's amazing. Can I write about it? So it's, you know, and I thought, the power of suggestion. God, I must, you know, just never, never think that you're not doing something. It just depends how you put it out there and whether you believe in it. So I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's probably worth saying again. If you have faith in your own work, that can be really contagious because it means that other people might just get on board too. So for Bella, it was as simple as calling one garment a collection, and that was it. Others joined her in her faith and loved the idea. So maybe it's just one of those things where you've got to define your creation's worth first. But moving back to our mentors, if we're lucky, they don't only exist in the workplace, but in our families as well. And most obviously, perhaps our parents. So for Bella, her household mentors were very special indeed. I read something, you come from a very creative family, obviously, and you were saying something about your father, Lucian Freud, painting, and if a painting were going wrong, he would just keep at it, and that that was one thing that you took great inspiration from. Yeah, that I must say that was very useful, because so easy to give up. And there's the moment where things are looking so bad, you think, this is just terrible. But watching him go through that, it tends to work. And it's also incredibly useful what I learn when I pursue an idea. And then suddenly it's like you turn a corner and it's, it falls into place or some tiny bit of it does. Or very occasionally you think, actually, that isn't a strong idea. I'll go to this or... If you keep yeah. to that vision somehow, yeah. one way or another. Because really you feel like just disappearing into bed for the rest <laughs> of your life and nothing's going to happen then. So uh, I really wanted to talk about your investor, your most recent significant investor, Pete Dubins, mm. because one of the things we want everyone to do is if they want to start a business, to learn enough that they can take control and keep control of the business and maybe bring other people in later to help them. Um, but that they always have that, that ultimate control. But if they can find often a business partner where there's a great relationship and a great partnership, that can be a really fantastic thing. So tell us more about how that's worked out, how it came about, what it's like working together. Yeah, I, um, it was a very fortuitous meeting and um, it must have been about 2012 and I'd been for the sort of few years before then, I'd just been making, you know, doing my thing. I'd had a few moments, like the last film I'd made in 2003, I'd made these jumpers and it was all kind of around this theme of beatniks. And, and then Kate Moss wore one that had Ginsberg is God written on and it was amazing. And people would ring my door. I remember this girl ringing my doorbell. She couldn't speak a word of English and she's from Argentina and she just, Kate Moss. Kate Moss. <laughs> she had this picture, and it was, it was so funny. It was fantastic. You know, I'd never had that kind of experience before, and it was just one thing, and, and that kind of... A collection. Yeah, it was tiny. It was 
Hideous Man collection. That was the name of the film. Uh, and then a friend of mine said, why don't you meet this guy, Peter Dubins, who's really into brands, and he might be able to give you some advice. And so I went to meet him, and I showed him... And you weren't looking for an investor. No, you were no, doing your thing. It never occurred to me. Anyway, I showed him my website. He said, oh, I see you do a sort of fashion arty thing. Hmm, yeah, I like it. Yeah. You know, and that was the key thing, that he liked it. He got it, and he's a banker and stuff, but he... He's got something. He has a, an eye. And I was really lucky, and we hit it off. And it was, it was great. When he came along, it was at a perfect moment in my career and in my life where everything just went like it should in a film. All the kind of happy music played. <laughs> and all the, you know, the figures were small, but the growth was huge. And it was very stimulating to be having success. That's the thing, as opposed to often there's the message of, oh, yeah. that, will, that will undermine your creativity. No, it lets you be far more creative because you can see where it's going and you understand how it can sustain itself. What was interesting in terms of like business is by the time Peter came along, I'd been in business since 1990 and it was, you know, 22 years of all sorts of experiences positive and negative but what I did know was what my strengths were and what didn't work for me all the things I tried that that just hadn't worked so why do them again and so I did a cash flow projection did you do it yourself I'm mad <laughs> I'm impressed <laughs> no I, I can't do spreadsheets but I actually do understand it I always need someone just to take me over the threshold so we did this this spreadsheet and then um, he set me up with the accountants from his firm and he said that's great I think just double it <laughs> and I thought okay yeah, <laughs> let, let's do that he was right and that from that moment what I learned was something that for the last 22 years I'd been doing was trying to show that I wasn't going to cost that much ah. but for people who want to invest in you they think oh, that, that doesn't look very exciting. If you're going to make a projection or a spreadsheet or something, make sure you don't under, do over. And then if you come in under your spending plan, you look great. I mean, it's probably very obvious to most people, but it's taken me... No, I think it, that's a really it, basic thing. I thought, oh, no, they'll think I'm just, you know, a dilettante or something. But far from it. They think this person has a realistic... Thing. You know, today I was doing a lookbook shoot and we really don't have a big budget at all and we make these little sets and there's nothing there but we spin it out of nowhere and I find that very satisfying. It makes me realise that I can make something look a certain way without having any money at all. I just pulled a chair out of my flat, I got a bit of old carpet, I found a lamp shaped like an egg and I put it on a chessboard that was from Syria that had all this pearl inlay. And it kind of looked like the 70s French apartment. You know, and that cost nothing. It was, it was great. And then everyone gets into it, you know, and make sure people have a nice lunch, even if they're getting a smaller rate than they might normally do. And make sure people feel recognised and credited and take care of them. And hopefully, if I do have loads of money in the future, then I'll pay them lots of money to do that anyway. You know. 
No one's career path is a straight line. Economists like to talk about how things develop according to what they call a random walk, or even sometimes a drunken walk, which is how things develop in a pretty unexpected way. And Bella, when she was talking about her career, she said something similar. She called it haphazard. And, you know, when you listen now, it is clear that she was incredibly lucky to be in the right place at the right time, and obviously having a family that meant that she moved in incredibly privileged circles. But to be fair to her, I think that she did what any of us can possibly do, which is to make the best of what's around you and the people that you happen to spend time with and grow up with. You know, I think all of us can take something from how she consistently sought out mentors, learning from different people, and worked incredibly hard to push herself and develop as best she possibly could. And with no real background in business, she managed to find the perfect mentor for her to develop her skills and become a capable and well-rounded entrepreneur. So this idea of having the right people around you is something that Bella carried on into the team she built in her company. And that ensured that she has time to crack on with doing what she does best. I like, you know, have a really small team and I can make things how I want them to be. We don't have to be like anything. We can be like what works for us, you know. Which is actually kind of crucial. Which is really important. People want to come back to you for the same thing and then they'll get bored if you do the same thing. So really, I think the key is to continue being interested yourself and how you do that. And part of it is making sure business is managed, that you're involved to a certain degree, but you're not doing it too much or you don't have time. Safe structures in business make everyone feel good and safe and you get the best out of them. But I have to make sure that the structure, it's stimulating and it opens up my horizon. And the more I go on, the more I think I'm better at doing things that free me up to be creative. And in the end, that is the source. And so if that isn't happening, then there's something wrong with the business. What are your best pieces of advice to give to people who are starting creative businesses in fashion or film or video games or across all the creative sectors? What are your most important pieces of advice looking back? The idea that creative people don't know anything about business, I think, is pretty untrue. So in a way, it's like, don't be afraid of the business and don't trust someone just because they are supposedly a businessman because there's loads of terrible businessmen and women out there. So if something doesn't add up, don't ignore that. Things have been suggested and I thought, well, they must know best because they're business people. Exactly. And then a year later, I think, I, I knew that that was wrong. And we all think it's wrong now. Obviously, no one's going to say. <laughs> but don't be scared to say no to things. So important for priorities and, and time, like you say. Yeah, yeah. Also, one tip for anyone who's starting in the fashion business is register your name as a trademark. In China and Turkey, I think, there are certain countries where people, they see new names, like they can be tiny people, and they'll register their name. And then I had to spend two or three years getting my trademark back. It's called something like trademark squatting or something. Someone will buy your trademark, and then you can't 
use it in China or wherever it is. So super important URLs as well. And also, I think find out what are the tools. What are your tools for kind of feeding yourself a new idea, and、uh, what things work for you? I mean, I find I take my notebook everywhere, and however much I think, oh, this is nothing, I'll take it out and write. Something, and I found that if I'm, a lot of it is to do with words or things people say, or if I'm in a concert. But I have to draw the word. If I just write it, it it disappears, and it's like creating a muscle memory, and that's what works for me. And I think, you know, sometimes when I can't think of anything, I'll go back through my old sketchbooks and see what I was lit up by, what I was interested in, what I'm reading, you know. And I never go through my iPhone, but with a sketchbook, it, it's like an arrow. It, it comes back to life. So, having heard Bella's talk, the word that keeps ringing around my head is tenacity. I think what's really honest and rare that Bella talks about is about how much failure. And confusion was part of her journey.、And、I think it's easy sometimes to look at really successful people like Bella and think, "Oh wow, they must have just had it sorted from day one." And actually, the truth is that it was a painstaking, frustrating, probably heartbreaking at times kind of journey of not knowing what you were doing, getting different mentors, different advice, moving forward bit by bit. Before eventually, she kind of struck gold and, and figured out. Exactly what she should be doing, and how to do it. Hillary Clinton said back in 2008 when she lost out to Barack Obama to be the Democrat nominee to be president of the United States. She said, "Just keep going. You know, whatever you do, whatever's happened to you, just keep going." And it feels like that's kind of Bella's mantra as well. You know, it's always tempting. I know it's for me to give up when you hit an obstacle or. When people are trying to tear you down or stop you doing what you're trying to do, but you know Bella, she seemed to see every knock as an opportunity to learn something new and to keep growing, and I just think that's incredibly cool. And、um, you know, to be honest, I'd love to be more like that, knowing that it is a long slog and that there's going to be lots and lots of kind of pitfalls and downfalls along the way. Is is kind of good to hear because if that's what it took for Bella to become the successful entrepreneur that she is, well, then for us mortals, you know, there's hope yet. Bella embraced this idea that mentors exist at all times and in all places, and in her life, you know, that was guidance from Roman tailors, from Vivian Westwood, or her big investor, but. You know, for all of us, I guess you know what her life shows is that there's mentors out there for us as long as we're open to finding them. We run a big mentorship program at Second Home, and it's really popular. And it's something that the kind of the earlier stage companies, the startups, really benefit from, and they get mentored by the more established businesses in the community. And what's nice is we've now been around for. Long enough, just just over three years, that we've got a bunch of companies that got mentored a few years ago, who are now have now grown to the point where they're mentoring companies too. And I think what is really nice about it is that it keeps both sides really sharp, because you know the the startup 
might only be a few years behind you, but they're probably trying things and using technologies and, and stuff that you're not using yet. And so it really is this kind of two-way process. And I think that's the reason that, at least at Second Home, it's such a popular thing for people to do. It's not just about altruism. And, you know, fair play to Bella. She's put her money where her mouth is. She's mentoring other people. And as she says, she's always learning from her team that work for her as well. So there you go, Bella Freud. She's not just super fashionable, she's super hardworking and super open to learning as well. And for my money, that really is the coolest thing of all. This programme was brought to you by Second Home and Radio Wolfgang. It was presented by me, Rohan Silver, and featured the fashion designer, Bella Freud. This series is produced by Eli Block and Natalia Rodriguez, and the executive producer is Harry Watson. If you'd like to know more about Second Home, please go to secondhome.io. Second Home.